This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. A big upset in Virginia's governor's race as Republican Glenn Youngkin defeats Terry McAuliffe. As prominent as fights over education were in that race, the Republican doesn't seem to have actually embraced robust school choice. Cato's Neil McCluskey describes his takeaways for politics at the state and federal levels in the next round of elections. Neil, as as far as I can tell, this election in the final month or so really turned on education. And uh, a lot of people are going to try to prognosticate about what that means nationally. What does it mean for Virginia, most importantly? Well, it is certainly true that education became the headline issue in the last several weeks or month of the Virginia gubernatorial election. Um, It is clear that there were a lot of parents who were unhappy. Um, What really needs to be uh, drilled down on is what were they unhappy about? I think that um, in Virginia, but it's really almost certainly the case across the country, what really got parents angry and it just built over the last 19 months or so, was they were first angry about public schools that would not reopen to in-person education. Um, And in particular, I think it wasn't just that they wouldn't reopen, but that parents felt like nobody was actually listening to them. They might go to school board meetings and some school board members may sit there and hear what those parents are saying, but felt no uh, need to act on it. They would sort of nod their heads and say, we understand, but we just can't do it. And I think reasonable people could understand that public schools were in a difficult situation, but they could also see private schools uh, often right down the street that were open to in-person education and that were being very responsive to parents. And I think that's what really created a groundswell of of unhappiness among parents that wasn't just uh, a partisan thing. It wasn't just Republicans, and it wasn't just about a particular issue. It was a frustration that you simply couldn't get the basic thing you wanted out of your schools, which was in-person education. And then that was uh, sort of turned up to 11 when schools finally did reopen and people were told, but you've got to wear a mask in order to attend this school. And then you had, I think, probably more conservatives at this point also saying, hey, look, and we're getting a little tired of things that are being done in the school in terms of the curriculum, especially what they would call woke stuff. Um, And again, feeling like the school board would never respond to them. And I think there was also frustration because they felt that the media uh, would denigrate them. Um, but they had real concerns that, again, they felt they were just being ignored or pushed aside and maybe even kind of laughed at or snickered at. And I think all those things then built up into an anger that the Yunkin campaign uh tapped into, but I don't think they had to tap very hard. I think parents were looking for somebody, anything that would send a message, hey, we're tired of just being acted upon. We want to be heard and we want to be responded to. And and one of the biggest moments in the final weeks of this campaign came in the final debate between uh, Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe, where McAuliffe provided sort of a pitch-perfect uh, quote for an attack ad regarding parents not being able to tell schools what to teach, and that was uh, or be involved in curriculum, which um, I, I guess if if you're the governor uh, and you're 
whatever role you have in in setting curriculum, which is not a whole lot directly, um, it, it's pretty clear that Terry McAuliffe just sort of stepped in it. Yeah. Um, actually, what he said makes some sense if you think about it. But the way he said it and given the mood of the people, it really did sound like he's saying, no, parents don't make decisions. Parents don't have input. This is not about what you want. And in a way, he's actually right. Public schooling wasn't created to be responsive to parents. In fact, you read Horace Mann, you read a lot of the people who who even today are sort of pro-public school theorists. They're saying, this isn't supposed to be what parents want. This is in some sort of nebulous way, either what their betters want. You know, Horace Mann was talking about, hey, the elites will decide what the sort of masses who are kind of icky what they will learn so that they become better people. And theorists today say this is supposed to be where everybody in society decides what kids will look like because we're shaping the next generation. So when Terry McAuliffe said parents aren't supposed to be dictating what public schools do, he's actually right. And as a practical matter, again, he was kind of right in that it's not like parents are monolithic. Some parents want their kids to learn critical race theory. Some kids don't. You can't have parents as a block then control the, the schools because you will always have some parents who are happy and some who aren't. But given that pe- parents felt like they weren't heard at all, the right answer, uh, or at least the one that would have made more sense and probably been less incendiary, was to say, Certainly, parents need to have a lot of input in what the schools say. The school districts need to li- to listen to them instead of just saying, hey, look, you, this isn't about you, parents, uh, as if they weren't the ones who know their kids best. It was sort of like, J- just be quiet. And I think that's what parents had felt they'd been hearing for the last, you know, since the lockdowns was, you don't know. Please stop talking. Um, we'll make decisions for you. I know that a lot of people have tried to uh, project this electoral outcome onto federal politics, uh, and I know that that concerns you a little bit in the sense that if this state issue, education, which was uh, such an important issue in Virginia, becomes a federal issue, uh, that on net would be pretty much negative. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's good. A lot of people who do education policy, uh, and I, I feel this way at times too, we feel like, you know, education policy doesn't get enough attention. It's really important, but it never can compete with taxes and wars and things like that. And I think it is appropriate that it be a big issue at the state level. This is probably the biggest thing that states do and local governments is deliver education. I wouldn't say it should be, but it is. And so let's have these debates at the state level. If this then elevates to the federal government and, uh, you know, somebody uh, says, well, you know what Washington really ought to do is mandate that, you know, school boards listen to 10 parents every single meeting or something terrible like that, that would be a bad thing. But I, I do worry that there are two messages about parent empowerment here. And I'm afraid the bigger one is parents who make a lot of noise should always get what they want from the public schools. And that is not consistent with a free society any more than they're being ignored is. We don't want to say, well, public schools are being responsive when really angry parents get what they want, or even when majority of parents get what they want. A truly responsive education system is one when every family is able to seek out 
the education they think is best for their child without being treated unequally by government by being told, well, you have to pay a second time for that. And I think that people who support school choice are going to have to continue to emphasize that true parent empowerment and liberty come from choice, not from forcing public schools to do what some group of parents wants. Uh, to the extent that some voters in Virginia were swayed by uh, Terry McAuliffe stepping in it and also the uh, school board issues about feeling not really being listened to, et cetera. You know, Glenn, uh, Glenn Youngkin doesn't seem to have delivered uh, anything close to what those voters might prefer, which is a robust system of school choice in which uh, money follows students without respect to the public or private status of the schools. Um, he's promised almost nothing. Right. He uh, he has not embraced the idea of school choice. He has been much more attentive to this argument that, well, responsive to parents means public schools do what the parents want. And he's really tending to talk to conservative parents. I think he's talking to all parents who may be frustrated or especially were frustrated when schools were closed. But when you start talking about critical race theory and those other issues about what's being taught, it seems a lot more like his message is the way schools respond to parents is they give those unhappy parents, the ones who don't like critical race theory, what they want. His only concrete choice proposal is 20 new charter schools in the state of Virginia, which charter schools are public schools. They are supposed to have more freedom uh, from rules and regulations than traditional public schools, but they can't be religious. They have to be held accountable by state standards and state tests. They are a very hobbled form of school choice. And so to make that your choice centerpiece, 20 new charter schools, and say they each you know, enroll 200 kids, you're talking about maybe 4,000 kids, that's a drop in the bucket of all children in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so he clearly has not emphasized school choice. And I think that it is important for him to hear the message that if you really want to empower parents and you don't want to pick one set of parents over another to empower, it's got to be done through school choice. And it's important to note that Virginia has a scholarship tax credit program already in place. You don't have to create something new. You can work to expand it. And I understand the politics of that are difficult. And I don't think the um, state assembly, all those races have been called yet. But it looks like, um, as I'm speaking, that the assembly may also go to Republicans which makes this road easier politically. The Senate will stay in Democratic hands, so that makes it harder. But now is the time to push for really expansive choice, not just say, well, you know, here's some token choice for parents who really want power. Uh, so for people who believe that, that Virginia is some sort of bellwether uh, with respect to elections in their states, what do you think is the appropriate takeaway from this election, given how uh, much education played a role here? Yeah, um, I think that Virginia, in terms of dissatisfaction with education and whether or not that represents or is indicative of other places, from what I have seen since the start of COVID-19 uh, and what I've seen of school board debates 
around the country for the last six to nine months. Virginia is not alone. There are a lot of unhappy parents in a lot of places. What will be interesting is to see the other gubernatorial race in New Jersey, which is a very solidly blue state, Virginia's been kind of purple. Um, the Republican there, Cittarelli, has, has made sort of a, a surprisingly strong showing. Um, I've been looking for exit polls to see, well, how important is education in that race? Um, by all indications from things I've read, people in New Jersey are also very unhappy about how their public schools kind of said, we'll tell you what's happening and you don't tell us what to do. Um, but I haven't been able to see the polls that confirm it. In Virginia, we've certainly seen that education was a very important issue. If we see more solid evidence in New Jersey of the same thing, that really indicates, I think, that what happened in Virginia isn't just a Virginia issue. This is clearly a national issue. But I do think we actually have enough anecdotal evidence to say that's probably the case. Yeah, we sort of already knew this uh, just based on how uh, upset parents were uh, through 2020. And in 2021, we saw a massive number of new school choice uh, programs, new or expanded school choice programs. Uh, it would seem appropriate for lawmakers to look at the results in uh, Virginia and maybe, maybe to a lesser extent, New Jersey and just say, let's double down. Yeah. I mean, now is the time. We clearly have a lot of, of disaffected parents, a lot of people who feel like, you know, in many cases, I paid good money for this house to get in this good district. And what good is it doing me? They're just telling me what what I will or will not get. I don't seem to have any input, even in these good districts. When you go to places where you don't have people who chose a district by being able to buy often an expensive house, there's already long been a sense that you need school choice. And so we, we definitely need to continue to emphasize that. The only way parents are going to get lasting power the only way they're going to have to be listened to is if they control the money. Um, and if we if they don't, if we keep going with this message, which I feel like is the main Yunkin message of, well, we should just make public schools do what you want but through pure political force. Uh, not only is that not going to be lasting, you're not always going to be the political winner. But it's a terrible one way to educate in a free society. Why should it always be whoever has the most political power gets to dictate what everyone will learn? So we've got to use this opening to continue to make the argument we've been making for a very long time about why school choice is so important. I should say the many arguments uh, for why school choice is so important. And it, it really needs to start right away, I think, with the Yunkin administration or even the pre-Yunkin administration, because starting at just 20 new charter schools is a pretty weak position if you really want to expand school choice. Neil McCluskey directs Cato's Center for Educational Freedom. Please rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.